0: Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash ForTheLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For The Love podcast. Welcome, to the show. I'm loving the series that we are in. Loving it. It's called For the Love of What If? And we're kind of like running across the whole spectrum of what that question means or could mean in a life. I mean, everything from what if we were able to live with a better sense of our regrets and what to do with them, how they've shaped us, but didn't wallow in them? Or what if we quit that thing that was sort of draining our joy and took a leap to do something new? Big questions like, what if, if we ask this, if we did this, what might life look like on the other side? In the case of today's, like absolutely vivacious guest and topic, what if we decided that maybe the most important person in our lives is ourselves. Now, just everybody calm down. I know there's just like a cacophony of like garbage self-care and, and me time and me first and, and me always and no one else ever and all those things. Like there's a mess out there around this, like I've reduced this idea to a kind of a sound bite. But what I mean by that is what if in a honest, even disruptive way. We looked inward to discover what makes us tick and what we love, where we've lost, who we love and why, who are the voices shaping us and why are we choosing them? I mean, big, big questions. Deciding that you are worth this work and investment so much, not just for your own Like wellness and life, but because that ends up creating a you who is the best possible person for the people that you love. That means you will then relate to the world as your fullest, healthiest, kindest, wisest, happiest self. And that is not selfish or self absorbed. We would be able to stop inflicting pain on the people around us that we have yet to address or resolve, right? We would stop projecting. We would stop being passive aggressive. Like that would allow us to move through the world differently, which would mean the people that are around us the most would experience a better version of us genuinely. Probably the truest version of ourselves is the truth. And so it would actually free us up. So what does it look like to be reminded that you are the most important person in your orbit first before anybody else can be genuinely so, and that deciding that that is a step in the right direction toward less overwhelmed, less imbalance, less cognitive dissonance, less burnout is the right path. So we have someone today, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm smitten kitten with today's guest. I'm so enamored. I just finished the interview and I'm, my brain is spinning and I just fed off of his energy so much and you are going to love him. So my guest today teaches and coaches others how to take this step by having some really pointed conversations with yourself that will raise your awareness of your thoughts and your actions and your patterns and your responses, reframe how you talk to yourself and then reconnect with the like the best, most core person you really are and wanna be. Today we have Dr. Corey Yeager. Yes, Dr. Corey, as he is affectionately known, is an NBA psychotherapist whose new book called How Am I Doing?, 40 conversations to have with yourself invites you to like dig deep, really to, like discover you, to honor your story, explore where you have come from and where you want to go. His philosophy really resonates with me this notion that intentional and vulnerable and honest conversations with yourself can be and will be transformational. I believe this. I feel like we're always trying to walk this road together by reminding each other to treat ourselves with kindness and compassion and grace. But what if we really did it? What if, what if you really did it? What a world I told Dr. Corey, I think this would change the world and I mean it. Dr. Corey is just about the kindest guide you could have to walk us through these questions, questions like, What does it look like for you to live your life with intentionality? What if you could change one experience in your past? What would it be and why? And this question, which he and I talk about, what is your genius? And what if you were living out of that? Big stuff. By the way, Dr. Corey was recently hanging out with none other than Oprah herself on the Life You Want series, which was just fire. And our conversation today is as well. You're going to love him. Guys, get excited for this incredible conversation with Dr. Corey. He is the best. Dr. Corey, welcome to the For the Love podcast. I'm just delighted to meet you.
1: Jen, I am just as delighted to join you today as this new year Kind of takes itself off. It's pretty cool to be able to join you in conversation.
0: Yep. You've got big work to do this year, and so do I. Let's start here. I've filled my listeners in already a little bit about you and who you are and really fascinating work that you do. It's just I'm I'm just thrilled to know about you and your work that you are in the ear of pro-athletes and top execs. Oprah for the love. For the love (laughs) of Oprah. I mean. Come on now. So if we can just kind of high level this for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just start up here. Can you tell us a little bit about what the work of a psychotherapist slash life coach slash conversation starter looks like? And how you kind of got into this realm. What what was your path into this space?
1: I am a big believer in manifestation. So When I was working on my master's, I'm the first in my family to even get a BA, much less a master's, and then then a PhD. I was about to begin the journey of my master's, and my grandmother, who is probably the most, not probably, for sure, is the most wise person that I ever have ever encountered um, and passed away a few years ago. I was about to start the master's the next day. I called her, Granny, I'm about to start this master's. I just want to see if you have any thoughts. She said, well, baby, I don't, even know what you, well, I don't even know what a master's is. She said, let me give you a piece of advice. Whatever your dream is for the master's, write it down, slide it in your Bible, go about your work. So I did. So I wrote down 20 years ago. I still look at this paper today. I wrote down, I want to find a way to use this therapy thing that I'm about to uncover and discover to work in the NFL or the NBA. That's so what I wrote down 20 years ago. I wrote it down. No one was doing this work at all it was very close to the time that the Michael Vick situation had happened with the dog stuff. And I remember thinking, no, I wonder who talked to that kid before I wonder who got in his ear and said, Hey, you got to think through this. What are you up to? So I wrote that down, went about the work of, of, of finishing my master's and then my PhD. And then that manifestation ended up coming my way, started working, did a little dabble work with the Toronto Raptors. And then, Ended up getting this job with the Detroit Pistons. So that's kind of the way it came about.
0: Did you just call the Raptors and be like, hi, I'd like to get inside the heads of your players?
1: To some degree, I started sending out emails. Because I, I started thinking, all right, so I don't know how to even how to even do this. Well, I don't know, send, the, send the emails out. So I started flooding the NBA and the NFL with emails. I didn't even I didn't have my master's done. I wasn't even done with my master's at this point. So I was uh, right? I was thinking forward. So I'm flooding it, just trying trying to discover what this therapy thing was. No one really responds. It's like three years I'm flooding. I kept sending. And then one day I get a return from a person at the Toronto Raptors. I'm like, what who is this? What is this? And it kind of unfolded and talked to them five, seven, eight, nine times. And then they, oh, well, we got somebody that may need your service to talk to. Kind of unfolded, unfolded. Then Coach Casey left the head coach at the Raptors at that point, left the Raptors and came to the Pistons and called me and said, I think there's something we'd like you to work on here. I think there's some work for you that could be really helpful. So that goes into my day-to-day work as a conversation starter or a psychotherapist and a life coach. The best way I can describe it, Jen, is that I become an uncle to my players. That's what it is. I become an uncle. I happen to be an uncle. That has some really deep therapeutic chops, some deep psychological chops that I can talk to you. and there's all kinds of theories and modalities that are moving through my head, but it will sound like a conversation with your, a good friend. It won't sound like the therapeutic modalities and all this language that people get turned off by. That's moving in my head, but it shouldn't sound like that to you if I'm working with you. It should just sound like I'm talking to Jen. Jen, how you been? Oh, Jen, how'd you handle that? Oh, man, that's got to be tough. Hey, I wonder if you I wonder if you've ever thought about so that's therapeutic modality moving through my head, but it just sounds like a buddy talking to you. Right? So that's what I I do on a regular basis with the, the work in the NBA. I travel on the road. I'm right now currently in Philadelphia. We play the 76ers tonight. I am at all practices, I go to coaches' meetings, I'm around, I'm with the team all the time. So I'm an uncle that's traveling with the team. That if they have struggles, they say, Hey doc, you got a few minutes. I want to talk to you about something. Oh yeah, come on, let's talk, right? So that's that's the best description I can give you on kind of my work and how I got to be who we
0: are now. Before we get into your book, which I love, I'm curious, I mean, because you manifested this before you even had that diploma, like the ink wasn't even down. So you only had at best, a guess, at what that life would look like, at how you would carve out a space that didn't exist yet you're assuming a career that didn't exist. So now that you've had it for a couple of decades, what's been the most fascinating or surprising or fulfilling part of the job that you actually have now that you can now comment on in in a factual way that maybe you didn't necessarily or how could you have seen coming?
1: I really think I'm amazed every day that I look around and say, I am surrounded by multimillionaires, And these kids are multimillionaires. but not long ago, they had very few dollars in their bank account. I was working with a young man and we were talking about some of the struggles, like I, he's got all these finances and everybody wants a piece of it. And he said, doc, I just got to tell you, before I got drafted, I remember looking at my bank account and I had $12. I couldn't even take a $20 bill out. I couldn't even go in and take a $20 bill. I only had $12 in my account. I got drafted, signed. I looked in the account. I had $12 million. you go from $12 where you can't even take a $20 bill out to now you have $12 million, what do you do with all that? So I'm almost amazed at how people go from very little to almost an overabundance of financial opportunity. That's odd to me, which, and it's really cool, and, and it's part of what I talk to them a lot about. So that has stood out to me in terms of my work. The other thing that I would say, Jim, that stands out is how normal these young men are. Hmm. There's normal guys. There's You're normal disguise. guys. Sure. Yes, if you didn't see them, because they're seven foot, but if you just talk to them, if you just heard their voice and talked to them, you would say it's just a normal dude. Not some multimillionaire. We've got guys on our team that have made 38 million bucks a year. But if you just talk to them, you would say, ah, maybe it makes 50,000 bucks a year. So, how normal they are in their existence and their day to day approach and, and and existence is almost amazing to me, almost uh, was a surprise, right? When I came into the league, I, I think I was surprised at how normal everything was. So, those are just a couple of things that stand out that 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 are amazing to me.
0: That makes sense. I mean, they're still trying to figure out what to do with their wives. They still have an issue with their mom. Like they got in a fight yesterday with a teammate. They don't know how to resolve it. They can't sleep. They're just dudes. They're
1: like, just dudes. They're That's happy right. life.
0: They just happen to be really yes. tall and really rich.
1: Hey, but... That's exactly right. <laughs> and they say that though, Jim, did you hit the, you hit the nail on the head. They are saying things like my wife is mad because we have this 10-day road trip, and I'm going to miss the birthday party. And, I, and she's she's pissed at me, Doc. And I, I, I don't know what to do. I got to go to work. I, but she's not happy. If she hates our schedule. So working through that because the schedule is, all right, that schedule is what pays the bills, though. So how do you deal with that is really the work that I love to do mm. every day.
0: I love it. I love that you're taking good, tender care of our elite athletes' hearts and minds and relationships. Nobody has done that really in earnest until recently. They were just our superstars and our performers and our idols, but they're just husbands and sons and brothers and dads. And so what worthy work because they also have complex lives. I mean, going from $12 to 12 million overnight, that's complicated. I mean, everybody listening is like, please give me that problem. But that is complicated. (laughs) That is is challenging. And so I'm just, I'm thrilled that you are there to take care of their souls and their lives and their relationships. It's fantastic. Thank you. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor, allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to Astaproallergy.com for a discount. So you can Astapro and go you guys today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. I want to move into talking about your incredible book. How am I doing? I really love this. I really love it. And I've got a lot of questions I want to ask you about, but I'd love to hear first, if you don't mind, how this idea came to be for you. I mean, obviously, I can see it as a deeply integral part of your work, clearly, as you help your guys and your folks Be introspective and look inside. I obviously see the connection, but the structure of it, the specific questions you posed. I'd love to hear how this idea came to you and what it was like for you to flesh it out as a writer.
1: Yes. So, Jenna, I'm a big believer, and I write about in the book, that we should trust, I do, trust that things will unfold on our behalf. The world will unfold on my behalf, and I believe that. I was moving the world, expecting things to unfold for me everywhere I go. Well, I just expect expectation. It's going to work for me. I don't know what about everybody else, but i my expectation and it. Had. So when I began my doctoral work, my PhD work at the University of Minnesota, I was beginning to talk and think about a conversation around writing a book. I'm like, all right, I'm in a doctorate program. I probably at some point will need to write a book. And I thought about writing the book and forcing the process while I was going through the PhD journey. But something kept saying, slow down, don't try to do too much, finish the doctorate. And the voice kept saying, and the book will come find you. You don't have to force it, the book will find you. So I trust that inner voice, that intuitive voice, I trust it deeply, profoundly, more than the average person trusts their intuitive voice. So I said, all right, I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna go about my life and I'll wait till the book finds me. So I've graduated, I get my PhD, I'm working in the MBA. And then one day I do this documentary for Oprah and Prince Harry called The Me You Can't See. So they follow me as my, I do my work in the NBA in the and they follow me for like a year and a half. And then I did a little piece in the documentary that was like maybe 15 minutes long. It was really cool. Got a lot of cool press. But that went out. And then one day I get an email out of nowhere from Harper Collins, And it's the, one of the VPs saying, hey, I read I watched your piece on that documentary, that Me You Can't See, and we spoke as a team, and we believe that you have a few books to write. Um, And we'd love to talk to you about, starting with one of these books. So I'm like, oh, so the book found me. Oh, it found me, right? So I I re re with them. And then what I knew from that position, Jen, is I get to drive the car. I get to drive the process. I didn't have to say, all right, well, what should I write? Do you want me to rewrite that? They wanted me to write, then I'm going to write it in a way that makes sense to me. So I wrote the book in a very simplistic way because my grandmother would tell me, and oftentimes did, when you get too smart, that's not good, son. Always put information down where the goats can get it. Down low where the goats can get it. Don't put it up high because they can't get to it. So I wrote the book in a way that, Any average person can read it and walk away with information that would be helpful for them. So one of the things that I do, Jen, my writing process is quite different than most. I like a lot of chaos around me as I write. So my son's playing basketball and wrestling around and the (laughs) TV's on and I'm sitting at my chocolate leather chair that I write about in the book in the middle of our house and there's chaos ensuing all around and I'm writing. And that's that's what I did with the book. It flowed from that process and developed the way it did. So I, I hope people enjoy it and it. get something. Yeah, it worked.
0: It worked that for worked, me. I love that. So, you know, I'm a writer too Harper, with HarperCollins. And I'm like, there is no one way to skin this cat. Like everybody has a different sort of creative energy. You want noise and chaos. I want dead silence. I want empty space. Like whatever gets it on the page whatever gets it on the page. And I'm just telling you, I love the way that you wrote it. I will not forget that your grandmother said, put it where the goats can get it. I am working that into my repertoire as we speak. Um, And and that's the truth. It's so accessible. It's 100% accessible, not just for academics, but for people and primarily the reason we really wanted you in this series we're in a series on the show called what if and we're asking these big questions like what just what if what if we went for it what if we lived this way and to your inclusion here in this series what if we asked these questions and then lived out the answers I, there's a 100% chance it would change every life 100% if every person asked these questions, gave an honest answer, and then lived out of that. It's transformational for sure, no doubt. And so I want to go through a couple of the questions because, I mean, even as I I have your book and as I was going through them, I had a couple of questions. I was like, I don't know. I need to sit with this. Like yes. you, they force, they're not all easy answers. No, like, they're not supposed it's to not be. like that. It's it's not an easy exercise. It is a sort of, it forces you to get still, to get quiet, to get honest if you're brave enough.
1: So Jen, let me say this. I, Cause I think you've hit an extremely important point. I wrote the book in such a way that I, my hope is that you can't just find a quick answer to all of them. Many of them, I want you to sit with the question and say, God, I've never thought about that. Hold on. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, so that's the space we want to occupy. Because now what we want to do, instead of moving straight to understanding, I want to move first to awareness, right? Let's first be aware. Okay, I'm aware that I don't, under, I don't know what that answer is. I'm, I'm aware that I've never thought about that ever in my life. And I'm aware that I can play with that. I could play with that in such a way that it may produce something for me in my life. I'll play with the concept of what is your genius? I haven't thought about that. Most people have never thought about being a genius, ever. Totally, They would tell you, I'm not a genius. I have no genius. But if someone says, no, be still, think through this. Yes, you do have a genius. What is it? If you had to sit with that, and play with that, and grind with that, it would produce you, and actually, not just the answer, the answer is not the key. The process towards the answer, the things that you play with, that you work through, that you cry through, that you laugh about, that is what we want more of. Because in that process, Jen, I know myself better. I know me better, and that's what the book is asking for. But let me shut up, I didn't mean, I interrupted you, I didn't Oh try. no! I, I, I love do that, that's you get me excited. A-
0: Look, this is the conversation I want to have with you. I really love that approach. And I love to hear you say the magic is in the process because the way that you've written, and this is just goes to who you are. This is a part of your tone and your energy and your approach to human people. You have, you've posed it all and framed it in such a way that what you really invite the reader to do is maintain a Generous spirit of curiosity about themselves. I think some people might hear us say, I'm asking you a bunch of questions that you need to answer. And it might feel like, oh, hell, uh, uh, are, are these like bringing me to account? Like I, I haven't accomplished everything. It's not like that. It's not like a list of pat answers that you're supposed to have by a certain point in your life. That's not at all the approach. More it's this okay, let's get real curious about like, who am I and what moves me and what's inside of me and what's possible in me and for me. And I like how you keep using the word play. It does have that sense to it. Like, come on in, like everybody pull up to the table. Like this isn't meant to be judgmental or self-righteous or shame-based. Of course not that it's the opposite. And I'm curious if that has been your response from your readers. I'm sure it has has
1: been. been. I've had a ton of people and people. It's so fun to see people engage with the book and walk away from the book saying, hey, the question, a number of those questions I've never considered, and they may be changing how I see my life. That's what I want. And where does that come from? What's the root of that? Curiosity. You're not going to get, you're not going to change anything In your life, unless you first begin with the curiosity that says, do I like that? How in the heck did I get there? Why?" Right. There's a question in the book about value systems. I believe that at about 9, 10, 11, up into the 12, 13-year-old range, we are handed a set of values. Our people around us, my grandparents, my mom, dad, my brother, they, they handed me a set of values. I didn't really get much say in it. They handed it to me. And I agreed with it because I love my people. So then after I'm 12, 13, 14 years old, I move into the world, holding those values, moving through the world with those values and never really reengaging or checking in with myself to say, does that still work for me? So I got those values handed to me at 12 years old. I'm now 53, Jen. Have I done any engagement or re-engagement with saying, does that still fit? Does that still work for me? But, but we haven't done that. So being curious, asking those questions because, and one of the reasons I say, Jen, that we won't be curious is because we may not want the answers. We don't really want the answers because if I re-engage and act in a curious fashion about the value systems I have, I may end up saying, that doesn't fit for me anymore. And I love my mom and my grandparents, but the way they, that value system that they loved and they handed me, that doesn't really work for me. I don't necessarily see the world that way anymore. So now I have a version of, invisible loyalty or disloyalty that I don't want to I'm now struggling and what is that that's the concept of cognitive dissonance I have new information, people have handed me the value system I have new information that combats with that value system at 53 and now I have to say what do you do with that do do I just say Corey just shut up and keep doing the things that they told you to do because sometimes that's the answer I'm gonna shut up I'm gonna shut up because I don't want that ripple I don't want that struggle. So I'm just going to be still. But many times the answer may be, I'm not going to be still. I'm not going to do that. That doesn't work for me anymore. I'm going to move in a way that's different than that. So playing with that curiosity can produce some things that we that make us scared. And that's okay. That's okay. We, we, fear is not a bad thing. Fear just means I can't manage all this stuff that's going on in my head. I can't manage it all. That's all right. We don't have to manage it all today. We don't have to. Right. I can say, all right, I'm nervous about this, but I'm not I'm, I'm going to keep playing with this. I'm going to keep pushing and, and pulling on little pieces and I'll figure it out one at one point, but I'm not going to avoid it.
0: Yeah. I love it. Those questions and then the process and the curiosity. And then ultimately, the answer. This is the path to growth. This is how people grow. It's precisely how. And so you've just really handed everybody a roadmap. Like start here, here are 40 questions to start with. They're not that every question on earth to ask, but there are 40 really good ones. And if we ask them, they would matter. One of your questions is who's the most important person in your life, which I love. I love the question. And again, it may seem like oh, I could rattle that off pretty quickly, but you invite the reader to go deeper into the story. And there's a lot to mine there. Can you talk about that particular question, maybe in a personal context or why you think that one matters? Why did that one get a slot in the 40 questions you posed?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to, as I answer that question, I want to touch on something that you said, you talked, you used the word growth. I think that we have to slow down and say, okay, so how do we grow? And is there any indication of growth? And I believe that there's an indicator of growth and it's pain or discomfort. That anytime you have discomfort or, or dealing with something that may be painful, slow down for a second and say, all right, what am I birthing into, right? Because birth is painful, but something beautiful is going to come from it, but it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good, but not, that's an indicator. Pain should be, discomfort should be an indicator that I'm growing in to something that is quite important. So I think this, this indicator is something that, that will give us a signal. Instead of just saying, I have discomfort. Because if we have discomfort for the sake of discomfort, Jen, we're going to avoid it. I don't want it. Get it away from me. But if I see discomfort as a signal that I'm growing, I may deal with that a little more. I may take that a little bit more if it's signaling to me, those labor pains are signaling to me that I'm about to birth. I'll deal with them. I'll deal with them, right? So in terms of who's that most important person? I came to understand that because I was asking our players and my clients and, and day-to-day approaches who that person was. And over and over and over, I was getting an answer that put the, the individual in the fourth, fifth, seventh spot in their own life. Well, my mom and then my dad and then my wife and then my kids, those two, three kids. And, and I kept waiting for them to say them and they would be at number 12. And they hadn't said themselves. so. I hear you saying all those people are more important or the most important. Where do you come in? That's where I got curious with them. Where do you come in? And then the ah uh, uh, would happen. Oh, I have not thought I never about never even that.
0: thought about themselves, right? And then
1: people try to spin it, Jen. Well, you didn't say I was included when uh-huh. you asked. Me. No, sure. I didn't. No, don't put that on me. Uh-huh. You answered the question the way you answered it. I didn't tell you that you couldn't put yourself first. I didn't say that. So playing with that in such a way allowed me to say, I want to start the book off with this cornerstone question. Because I saw my daddy who died at 15, who was to me the most important person in the world, and then my grandmother and my grandfather and all those my friends, and that circle of friends that I had at 22 that was probably 30 people wide. And now I look around at 53 in my circle has two or three people. I went from 25 to 30 people in my circle all of them very important to me, to now 53, there's like three people outside of my family that that I would say are important. So I thought that this question was a cornerstone question to start the book off in understanding I'm the most important because the other questions, the 39 other questions, really are engaging. You have to have that frame first before you can start to play with the rest. So that's kind of where I came up with who's the most important and, and used it first.
0: I consider myself fairly self-actualized and well-read and in pretty good possession of confidence and agency. And I would have missed that question. I'd have missed it. I'd have, I'd have turned outward as so quickly. We're conditioned to do so. And so I, I love this leadership. You are inviting us to consider our worlds in new and healthy ways that isn't necessarily the norm. You and I were talking before we started recording that your work never ends because you are out here normalizing wellness and mental health. And I, I told you, you have job security because it is not normalized. And there's so much work to be done. There's two questions that you have in the book. You've mentioned one of them. My guess is they make people uncomfortable, either because they've never thought about them or it feels self-centered, we're not, again, we're not conditioned to think this way. And so I love the what if possibilities that exist hovering over these two questions in any given life. And so one you mentioned, what is your genius? And then you also ask, what do you love most about being you? Yes. Both of those are phenomenal to me. I just I can only imagine that people just put their pen down like, hey, I gotta, I don't know. Like I would love to hear you talk about those questions and what the benefits to those answers and really the process is, as you mentioned earlier, the process of getting to those answers and how you even begin to coach somebody who goes, I don't have any idea even where to start on either one of those things.
1: So I believe it is similar to this first the question of what do you love most about yourself? I think this this is similar to someone that has been bruised in relationships and is avoiding engaging in new relationships. They'll they'll avoid, they'll they'll find ways not to engage with someone that may want to date them. They will send out a signal to the world that I don't want to date, I don't want to do that, I'm not ready for that. I think that's what we've done with ourselves. I submit that it is time for us to have a love affair with ourselves. I need to love me. And I'm glad my wife loves me. I'm glad my mama loves me. And my my kids love me. I'm glad, Janet, they love me. Most important love that I'm going to have is mine. That I have to love Corey. I have to find a way to love Corey. And I submit that the book is asking us those curiosities and questions so we can get to know. If you're going to fall in love with someone, you better know who they are. So, how, if, so if you don't know yourself, it's very hard to love yourself. If I don't know who I am, if we don't know someone else, I really can't fall in love with you because I don't know you. So finding ways to slow things down, Janet, I believe that's one of the things that we've got to do a better job of. You spoke about it as the new year came. You said, hey, I'm kind of, to, took my time to start the new year. Yes, yeah, slow things down, right? So this question of engaging about the things that we love about ourselves is about falling in love, taking that slow bite-sized approach to love affair with self. And the way you can do that is say, so what, what do I love about me? So like for me, Jen, I love my generosity. I want to take care of people. If you're going to be around me, I'm going to be the person in the group that says I got dinner. It's on me tonight and you should, everybody shut up. I got, give me, bring me the bill. That's the, It does something for me. It feeds me that I can take care of people. That's probably why I got into the profession I'm in. I want to make sure that I can take care of people around me. Because if I slow down and think, Jen, about my life, I look back and say, God, I have just been blessed. I I haven't had a lot of major struggles. Right? I hear other people and struggles that they had. I'm like, geez, I didn't really... I have to really search for struggles. Well, my dad died at 15. But other than that, man, it's been golden. So if that's the case for me, and I'm hearing the stories of others that have struggled, then let me take care of. Let me me bring people into my circle and take care of in a genuine and generous way. And I think that is connected to this love affair of finding out who we are. What are those things that, that we really like about ourselves? And that's not about figuring out what other people like about you. So I didn't ask that question. I tell people all the time, hey, you're not answering. uh, You're answering a question I did not ask. Uh, I don't want you to. I say to my sons all the time, I ask them a question. They start answering, hey, you're now answering a question I didn't ask. Don't answer that question. So you can answer that question for someone else. The question I ask you is not what other people think that they love about you. What do you love about you? And people get stuck and that's okay. Get stuck, stuck in that space, play in that space, come back and forth, move to the next chapter, and then come back to that. But find ways to understand what it is that makes you who you are, that makes you smile about yourself. And in that, that genius will find you. will find that genius answer as well, right? Because I think we have it, Jen. We all, I know, I don't think we have. I know we all have genius. We don't see it as genius. So if we slow it down, engage with ourselves, move with that curiosity, we'll say, well, the thing I love about myself is probably very connected to the thing that I'm a genius. Oh, those those things, oh man, I'm starting to see connections here. And the book I think is a web of connections. And you can jump around. You don't have to start with, with one and go through 40. You can jump around. That's my thought. I could be off, but that's that's how I see it. I love the world. it.
0: Yeah, you tug one thread and it's connected to the next. And that's a beautiful thing. You've chosen forty questions that are very linked and they're interwoven, And together it makes up a whole human person. And so whichever order anybody tackles them in, it's incredibly illuminating. and it it introduces us to this idea. Some of my favorite therapists, you know, use the term self-compassion, which is just this kindness of spirit. Directed at our own selves, which we are terrible at. We're the meanest. The meanest voices in our heads are our own.
1: And so just the
0: meanest. And so it's a discipline to learn. I got something for you.
1: We are the meanest in our own heads, the meanest of anyone in this world. So one thing I talk about for people to understand that deeply, if you say, all right, so I'm just going to slow down and I'm going to tune in the way I talk to myself. I'm not going to try to do anything about it. I'm not going to try to fix it. I'm just going to pay attention to how I talk to myself. And if you do that, you'll say, God, many times I'm really negative with myself. And if we had someone take a transcript of those negative thoughts, type it out, and hand it to a stranger and tell the stranger to read it to us, say those words to me, we would run from that person.
0: That's right.
1: We would try to get away from them as quickly as possible. But we do it to ourselves all day, over and over. Corey, you're an idiot. You're not gonna get this done. You're just stupid. You're not gonna get that job. You're not gonna get no one wants to talk to you, right? We're just all day. Yeah. If somebody, but if somebody else did that to us, Jim, we would we'd be avoiding, we would actually be ready almost to fight with that person. At the very least to verbally fight with them. That's right. But we do it to ourselves all day long. So we've got to do better with that. And and that's why I submit that it's not about trying to jump and change it today. First, tune into it. You got to be aware of it. All right, how am I talking? Man, I'm negative. Man, now you can slowly, one by one, catch some of those thoughts in the middle of those thoughts and say, does that serve me? No, it doesn't. Then I'm not going to do that. I'm going to replace that thought with something better, right? And we can do that. I don't think we're aware of it.
0: Right. That's not a life sentence. That way of thinking, we really can retrain our minds. We can create new pathways. We can switch the narrative. We can reverse that sort of punishing self-talk, but it does require everything that you're asking of us in your book, which is intention. Like it requires intention. We just cannot default to our values, our perspectives, what used to work, whatever voice is on autopilot in our heads. I mean, that'll just keep going without any intervention, but it's this disruption. And this is a little bit disruptive. Like the, the work of this is, and you mentioned that earlier, and I appreciate you making room for the fact that some of this will feel disruptive because it is. Like we are, we're in some cases disrupting negative self-talk. We are we are disrupting ideas about who someone else told us we were. About we're just dis- we're disrupting our trajectories in some cases. And so, but it's still worth it, and it's still really good. I want to ask you about one more question in the book before we landed here. But in this exact series, we did an entire episode with a guest whose PhD work revolves around this idea of regret. And he has reframed regret and wrote a whole book on how regret is useful and how to approach it in a different way. It's also a disruption of the way that we generally process regret. And so one of the questions that you ask is, what is the mistake you have learned most from in your life, which is very similar to what he and I discussed that this, if if we'll let it, it'll be our best teacher if we'll allow it to be our teacher. And so I wonder if you could talk about the process you have of helping people walk through this particularly by looking at small mistakes first and then perhaps easing up into the ones that kind of haunt us and then you recommend a course of action to follow up at that point. Can you sort of talk about that for a minute?
1: Yeah, I think this this concept of regret and looking back at things that if we could change one thing, I think it calls for a bite-sized approach because we're not gonna just jump in and change all the things that we regret. It is the African proverb of how do you eat elephant? One bite at a time, you just take a bite of it. You don't have to try to eat the whole thing. Just take a bite and figure it out as we move. So going back into our past, I think that we have to recognize that memory, past, regret, all those things are in the past. That memory is, it plays a significant role in our lives. And it's not just to reflect on what has happened, but it is rather to inform us about where we're headed, right? So if I can look back and use my memory, use that to inform where I'm headed, right? I, what did I learn? It pushes it forward. So that bite-sized approach is not just set up so you can flash back and turn it into a movie of, of regret. That doesn't serve us. Utilize that to service as we move forward. I'm also reminded, Janet. I know I go all over the place, but when I get excited about conversations, I got 12 million things, and you've done it to me today that pop up. This concept of regret reminds me of a concept that I'm playing a lot with now, is and that's the idea of jealousy, right? So that we have things that we get jealous about with ourselves, which is really regret, or with other people, and really what we have to realize is that jealousy cannot occur, does not occur without first having the desire. You have to desire something to be jealous. You can't be jealous of something you don't desire. If I, if I never want to live in a cold, cold climate and you have a beautiful cabin in Northern Minnesota, I can't be jealous of that because I hate the cold, right? So I won't be jealous of it. But if there's something that you have that I don't have, now all of a sudden that desire is that jealousy kicks in. And that's the route that I desire something that you have. So instead of using jealousy and just letting it sit, how about if we looked at those jealous moments, understood it as desire, and allowed that to become a GPS that told us where we wanted to head. I love that Jen has that beach home. And I'm jealous about that. I want the beach home. So how about instead of being jealous, I said, I want that. I'm going to figure out a way that I can get that done. And I want to say, hey, Jen, so how long did you, when did you buy the beach home? How did you figure out that you could figure, financially fit that into what you're up to? Right? So now I allow that thing that I'm jealous about, that desire that I hold deeply to become a point on the map that I can drive towards, as opposed to just saying, I hate that Jen has that up. She doesn't deserve it the way I do. I deserve that more than she does. And then what I would also do is get friends beside me to say, yeah, do you see that Jen sees She's putting it on Facebook again. Look at her. She's trying to rub it in our face. See, so what I'll do is I'll go get a team of people to come with me in my jealousy. Now I got 12 people that we say we don't like Jen. Why? Yeah, she just tries to be too much. She's up to you. Yeah, because I'm jealous of Jen. I desire what Jen has right? So if we can find ways to flip some of those things, and I think this is connected to that idea of regret, those stories, those things that we would like to change in our past, we must first understand what they are and then figure out, so why do I want to change that? What would, what would it do that would be different? And then how does that inform where I am and where I'm headed, right? I see a plethora of questions that we have there, but again, I think that's what the book is trying to do, is be curious. The book is not trying to give you answers. For sure. I am a big believer, Jen, that we all hold the answers to everything we need. Everything that happens in my life today, I am fully equipped for. Anything that occurs, I'm fully equipped for, for this moment. And if we trust that, if we understand that our, our lives are such, then we can move with confidence. In our, right? You, you Jim, you do it. I don't know you well but I could tell you move with a a level of confidence in your life. I do the same. It's what I said earlier. I almost expect for things to unfold. I'm not being cocky about it, but my expectation is I got everything I need. I'm going to move in the world with an expectation that things will unfold for me and those around me. And I won't hold that just for me. I'll be generous with it. I'm not going to be greedy. I'm going to always be generous. My wife and I have had many an argument that Honey, if you give me, if I go take five hundred bucks out of the bank, I'm gonna get that shit. I'm gonna give it away. I'm gonna say, hey, you need a man? Come here. I got. A hundred, I got a question for you. If you answer a hundred bucks. That's who I am, <laughs> right? So the, the arguments that we had, I said, but honey, me giving has gotten us to some degree where we are today. I'm never gonna stop giving because I think it comes back a thousand fold if it's genuine, right? So. I know I hit a billion.
0: No, no, followers. I love it, and I like that example because, sort of, framing around this idea of jealousy. You know, you started with a ubiquitous experience. You want what somebody else has. That's common. There's nothing. There's no morality attached to that. This is just, just a normal human way to feel about something. But then you attach it one way or another. You can attach it to. I wonder what it would look like for me to set that as an intention for my life. And that takes you down this road all the way, maybe to it. But just the tiniest tweak. And this way you decide to disparage the person who has it. You follow that down, but you're all the way down a road you do not want to be on, which includes resentment and bitterness. And you are a contagion among your people. And these matter, these little early toggles when we've got this moment we get to figure out how we want to respond to it it may only take us 5 degrees off at that first decision but you play that out and you're in wor- your world's apart at the end of it and so these matter this mindfulness matters these perspectives matters this mindset matters and so i i think this is important work and it excites me to think about what people could discover at the end of it what would be sort of awakened in their own hearts and minds and souls, and then ultimately their lives. It's really exciting. And I love it. And I think you're fantastic. (laughs) I wish I was an NBA player so you could just coach me every day. Every day. I've got problems. Sheesh. (laughs) Me too, (laughs) Jim. Me too. (laughs) Dr. Corey, now you asked us all the questions. I have one more for you. This is my question. I actually ask everybody this. Every episode, the end of every episode, no matter what series you're in. So uh, by the way, I would love for you to answer this however you want. Like there's no, you can answer this earnestly, or you can answer this absurdly. And we get it all and we love it all. So I don't care. I borrowed this question from a priest that I love. And she asked this question. What is saving your life right now?
1: What is saving my life right now?
0: Mm -hmm. Just right now.
1: What is saving my life right now? I think what is saving my life right now is my belief that I have a multiplicity of options that will all be unbelievably beautiful. I have tons of options in my life and all of them are absolutely beautiful. So I'm not shrunk to, well, you only have these one or two options and and, and that's all you got. No, I think there's a multiplicity. I'm an author, I'm working in the MBA. I love to do work in schools with young people, right? I think there's a ton of things And I think that's exciting and it's saving my life because I know whatever, kind of what you said, whatever journey I choose, I'm going to smile. I'm going to smile and I'm going to be supportive of others in that journey. So I'm not not stuck to one
0: roadway. So good. That takes all the pressure off this invented idea that there's one right path for each of us and God help us if we don't figure it out. That's, that's right. actually not true. 100%. The world is that's way right. more abundant than that. It is not that scarce. Yes. So yes. beautiful. Yes. The, okay. The law yes. of
1: abundance. The law of abundance. I believe the in it. The law of abundance. Yes. There's more than enough it. for all of us. But we but if you don't believe in it, you will have scarcity. That's right. You're not gonna have enough. Like, oh my God, I only have enough to pay the bills in it. Yeah, well, that's what you're gonna always have. That's right. But I, that's right. But I believe that there's more than enough. I'm going to get my fair share and I don't have to I don't have to worry about it. It's coming. Yeah, I ain't yeah. worried. I
0: don't worry. Yeah. I have young writers come to me all the time. I've written a bunch of books and they come to me and say, I don't know. The field is crowded. I'm like, there is always room for more. There's more room for more creativity, more innovation, more stories, more literature, more genius, like more leadership. There, It will never run dry. Absolutely never. And so pull up a seat to the table. It's already yours. I don't need to give you permission. Your seat has your name on it. Let's go. I believe in abundance. I've seen it.
1: And be unique. That's Bring your own unique, right? So you may be writing in a space as an author that a lot of people are writing in, but you have a unique version of it. Absolutely. Mine's unique. No, no one is ever in this world. All the billions of people that have been on this earth, no one has experienced what Corey had. No one. And no one, after it's time for me to go, no one will ever experience what Corey has. So my, my unique experience will be
0: important as we move through life. Yep. You do what you do in the way that only you can do it. The end. And that's true for every single person, which is why I love your genius question because everybody has it. All right. Will you please tell my listeners where they can find you, where they can find your book? They're going to want more of this. I know it for sure. So how do they get more Dr. Corey?
1: Yeah, so the book is kind of everywhere Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any of the major sellers. If you want to find me on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or Twitter, it's really Dr. Corey Yeager, C O R E Y Y E A G E R. You can find me at any of those social outlets, but you can find the book if you Google, How Am I Doing? 40 Conversations to Have With Yourself. You're going to find it everywhere. So you'll find me. You'll find me. I'm not hard to find. Yeah.
0: And if we play our cards right, we'll see you at a game that's right uh that's right we'll look for you on that sideline we know you got those good seats we know you've earned it you've earned it thanks for being on the show i'm so happy to have met you and just moved by your work and really proud of you and thrilled at your leadership in the world and i'm just so grateful for your investment in my community today so thank you times a million for coming on today
1: it was a, it was absolutely a blast, Jen. You did a great job, and I appreciate it.
0: Dr. Corey Yeager, everybody. Love it. Love him. Love these ideas. I love him right now. I mean, how long are we going to go before we ask and answer these questions, and what are we waiting for? Yes. For sure, they could be disruptive, but some of our patterns and thoughts should be disrupted. And so I like this. I like this idea of, let me start with myself. Instead of outsourcing all my angst, all my aggression, all my blame, instead of just turning outward going, life has happened to me. What about this start with me? Let's start with the hard questions for myself. I love it. I love it. And I think this is fantastic. If you go to jinhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, we will have this episode, all the show notes, and we'll round up all the links for you. So you can follow Dr. Corey on socials and get a quick link to his book and every other resource we can find from him for you. As always, these podcasts are always fun to watch over on my YouTube channel because it's fun to watch the guests talk to watch their body language and their facial expressions and our responses to each other. So you can head over to my YouTube channel anytime. You'd love to watch an interview. They're all over there. All right, you guys, more to come in this fire series. See you next week.